Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I'm in Toronto with the president of Cream Minerals. Cream Minerals trades on the Venture Exchange under the symbol CMA.V and in the U.S. on the over-the-counter bulletin board as CRMXF. Michael O'Connor, president of Cream Minerals. Now, you've had some interesting developments since we last spoke on the phone. What's come up with regard to your Nuevo Millennial project? We issued a news release, and in that news release, there were four drill holes from Ansibocas North, which is a potential open pit target on the uh, floor of the caldera. Of the four holes, the hole 9 missed the zone, which happens in exploration drilling. However, holes 10, 11, and 12 did hit the zone. All of the holes returned good values, and the best value was 68 grams per ton silver and 0.4 grams per ton gold over an intercept of 22 meters. Contained within that intercept and also contained with the intercept on the other two drill holes, 11 and 12, were higher grade intercepts of roughly 2 meters running 150 grams per ton silver and roughly 0.7 grams to 0.8 grams per ton gold. So overall, really quite good results. I'm very happy with them. When you take those within the context of a uh, open pit potential, it becomes really very interesting. Well, you've got high grades at surface, high grades of silver at surface, higher than last time we spoke. Uh, you're most definitely increasing the resource. Will this specifically define the company as an open pit resource project? I think it's a little bit too early to, to say that it's going to be strictly an open pit project. You know, we do have very good grades in the uh, quartz veins and the quartz stockworks uh, contained in the eastern wall of the caldera. You know, the prime determinant will be total ounces contained in the east wall of the caldera. Are there sufficient ounces there? And are the locations of the quartz veins with respect to each other amenable to underground mining? If that works out, then yes, we could have an underground uh, mining operation. Most certainly, at this stage, it looks like we will have open pit operations on the floor of the caldera. In addition to growing the resource, your market cap expands naturally due to the growing price of silver. We've had several people come on the program and predict that it's going to hit 50 or $60 announced by the end of the year. That's correct. I mean, currently our market cap is roughly $35, $37 million. This stock is trading approximately $0.27, $0.28 cents Canadian. There are 153 million shares out, so let's assume that silver rallies strongly, the share price rallies strongly, hits a dollar then our market cap is $153 million. So that should, hypothetically, directly affect the share price of your company as well. Any junior exploration company which has got a, an in-situ resource and which is working on developing or expanding that in-situ resource can be viewed as a, um, as a long-term call on the price of silver. 
So as the price of silver goes up, the price of the silver in the ground or the value of the silver in the ground is going to go up. So therefore, the net present value on a fully diluted basis is going to go up. Therefore, the share price sooner or later is going to have to respond to the increase in the net present value of the underlying the share price. In other words, it's a fancy way of saying that if the price of silver goes up, the value of the silver in the ground goes up, and sooner or later the value of the share price has to go up to reflect the increase of the value of the uh, silver in the ground. Well, we've seen some new shareholder awareness just in the last few weeks that you've been a sponsor of the program. It could be due to several different factors. How do you see 2012 playing out for those that are not yet with the company? For 2012, as I said, we have the new resource estimate pending uh, by the end of March of this year. Once we have that in hand, then we'll be able to finish laying out our drill program for 2012, and then we'll begin a a drill program. Initially, it will be 10,000 meters. More than likely, we'll add an an additional 10,000 meters to the drill program for a total of 20,000 meters in 2012. The big question is, where do you focus uh, those meters? And at this point, I think that we will probably put more focus drilling off potential open pit targets on the floor of the caldera than we will in uh, trying to drill off additional quartz veins in the uh, in the east wall of the caldera. Well, the open pit means that it's actually going to be a lot cheaper to produce an ounce of silver and additionally create that sort of value for your shareholders. That's correct. It's going to be much cheaper to produce an ounce of silver. It's also going to be much easier to produce an ounce of gold. Typically in the open pit areas, we're seeing a about 0.4 to 0.7 grams per ton gold, which is a nice credit to have because generally it will pay for all your mining and milling costs. In addition, if you're looking at an open pit operation, your capital investment is going to be dramatically lower than if you're looking at at an underground mining operation, simply because you're spared the expense of drilling the tunnels, the drifts, the adits, etc. That can be incredibly expensive. And of course, there's plenty of infrastructure in Nayarit State, Mexico. This is not virgin territory at all for mining. No, it's not. We're within, say, 14 kilometers from the airport, 14 kilometers from power. We're roughly 14 kilometers from water. There's a railway that is, I'd say, 8 kilometers from the entrance to the property, and we're 27 kilometers by road from Topeka, the capital of Nayarit State. So with respect to proximity and infrastructure, it's very favorable for the uh, development of the project because the capital investment required, or the infrastructure capital investment required, is actually going to be quite low compared to some other projects I've seen. You never name names, but I can think of one project in South America which is going to require almost 200 kilometer long pipeline to move the concentrate. I mean, that's going to be incredibly expensive. Now, the project economics will support it, but nonetheless, you're talking about huge amounts of money to do that sort of thing. In our case, because we're within 14K of good quality infrastructure, we won't face uh, investments of, of anywhere near that scale. Who are some of the analysts that have covered you lately? Starting with Northern Securities, Matthew Zalestra. He has a speculative buy rating on the stock with a one-year target of 47 cents. Uh, he issued his initial coverage in late December of 2011. Mike Bandrowski, mining analyst with Claire Securities, is currently issuing morning notes. Brian Zitzo with Byron Securities has a speculative buy. He currently doesn't have a, uh, a one-year price target. However, he has said that in subsequent research publications, he will have a one-year price target. And most recently, Dundee Securities included cream in their summary of junior silver exploration companies uh, for 2012. So effectively, we've got four companies covering us in one form or another. Michael O'Connor, president of Cream Minerals. 
trading on the venture exchange under the symbol CMA.V and the over-the-counter bulletin board as CRMXF. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, Ellis. It's my pleasure. For more information, visit our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of a company with significant assets of zirconium, rare earths, and rare metals, as well as gold and copper in New South Wales, Australia. The company is called Alkane Resources. It trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY and in Australia on the AX as ALK. Ian, welcome back to the program. It's nice to have you on Skype today. Oh, hi, Alice. Yes, it's nice to give it a go and then sort of join the 21st century. Now, I'm taking a look at your news release dated on the 12th of this month. You had a proxy meeting recently, but let's go back just a few days. According to what I'm seeing, you are in the process of attempting to raise $107 million in funds now. I thought $106 million was a big figure, but you're going for the whole $107 million. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind explaining what you need the money for? It's actually broken up into three different components. Now, perhaps I should explain that first. For existing shareholders, it's on a one for ten basis. So if you own ten shares initially now, you'll get one new share and at a dollar ten. We've also done a placement of about 40 million shares, uh, which is at our capacity, about 15% of the issued capital you can place at any one time. So that's a 40 million placement. And because the demand was so strong, I mean, really, we were very surprised just how strong that demand was. We've actually done another 30 million placement, but that's subject to shareholder approval. So that's something that now won't take place until about the, the 16th of April. So that raises us overall about $107 million. The key component of that, about $70 million is allocated to the development of our Tom Angley Gold project. The project is ready to go, it's ready to start construct, but we just need approval from the state government, but uh, we're hoping to get that in the next month. So with this funding in place, the project now basically proceeds to, to construction and then to development. About $20 million We've allocated to the Dubbo Zirconia project. That's our large zirconium niobium rare earth project. And not that I think we'll spend that in the next 12 months, but it's really to make sure that everything we need to do over the next 12 months gets us to a point where this time next year we're ready to go for that project. And really that means the final stages of the process development work, uh, putting a rare earth MOU in place for offtake, getting all the financing ready for the project, getting all the environmentals approval. So there's a lot to do in this 12 months, but we by the end of March next year, we really want to be in a position where we can press the button to go. So that's the major application of those funds. Are you going to have to go back to the market for more money, let's say in a year, with respect to Dubbo? Yes, we think so. I mean, really it depends how we end up funding the project. And you know, we've said a few times now that we think there are a number of options to funding the project. I mean, we still are talking about a $900 million Australian dollar project, one of the options we've got is to do a small strategic sell down on the project, maybe 10%, and we believe we could do that at multiples to the NPV value, so that's potential $250 million type capital raising out of that sell down. And interestingly, in the last two years, what I'll loosely describe as government agencies, and the, the most well-known government agencies to us, Japanese, Korean, and European agencies, and these governments have set out to secure a supply of strategic metals. I think that the events that have taken place in China in the last few years have frightened many of them into the sense they've got to find non-Chinese supply. 
And these government agencies have been given the brief by their governments to go out and secure supplies for their country. And to do that, they're prepared to provide some loan funds, uh, project loan funds, at very, very interesting interest rates. So we can see another 200, 250 million coming from that source, leaving us another 400 million to, to find. And we think that will just be broken up between normal project debt finance and the equity market. And again, our target has been to try and keep that equity component below $200 million. So we don't really want to go out to the market and really blow the capital of the company out. We want to try and keep the shareholding as tight as possible so that when we get into production on Dubbo in three years' time, that the, the project then will ge- generate very substantial returns and see that capital appreciation in the share price. So that's a long way of answering your question. Yes, we probably will have to go to the market, but only at that point where we have, we think, the bulk of the financing for the Dubbo Zirconia project in place. But you're having no trouble raising this amount of money in Australia for the projects you have at hand. I think for any junior mining company in the U.S., that's an astounding figure to try and raise it in the U.S., or Canada, but for you, it's necessary, and it's for your gold project, which should be generating about thirty million dollars a year. That's right. Again, we did the road show back in the end of January, early February, into London, New York, and Toronto, and then we followed up here in Australia in the two big financial centres of, of Sydney and Melbourne. I came away from that really pleasantly surprised, just how much interest there was. I expected the markets, certainly in London, and then maybe to a lesser extent in New York, to be still very wary, very concerned about the European debt crisis situation, but it was almost the opposite. Certainly in London, there was a remarkable buoyancy. Most of the funds thought that uh, the market had turned, that said there was a lot of money around. So in fact, it was actually quite simple, quite easy for us to raise the money than a mixture of different centres where it came from. And certainly in Australia, there was a big, strong interest in what we were doing. And I think that was pleasing that we've got the message across. We've, you know, we really have got the message across of, to what Alkane's all about, where it's going to go over the next five years, the bread and butter business of the gold operation, and then the real big upside coming out of the Dubbo Zirconia project. It actually became quite easy to market it. And at one stage in the two-day raising program, we were looking at the placements. We probably had a two-to-one offer in. So in other words, the placements were looking to raise about $70 million. We probably had an offer something like $140 million at that stage, and I think we could have got a lot more. So that was, again, very pleasing and then great for us to, to say, well, yeah, the market has, has finally recognised uh, what Alcane's got and what the enormous upside that it's got. Will any of these funds go into the Dubbo project from uh, Tomlingley, the gold project? Only in the sense of this this first phase of getting us through this year. The actual operating cash flows coming out of Tomlingley, to a lesser extent, there will be cash flow coming out. Well, it will depend on where we are with Tomlingley. If Tomlingley hits its straps very quickly and generates cash flow quickly, certainly that will also save us from going back to the market. But we sort of see Tom and Lee Moore as providing us that cash flow, that accumulating funds that, again, stops us from going to the market in the future after Dubbo. You have many shareholders here in the U.S., of course. You trade on the OTC QX. Those folks get it as far as it being uh, relatively, it's not risk-free, but the amount of risk is, let's say, less than other junior companies in the rare earth, rare metal space that don't have three or four offtake agreements in the offing like you do. I think, again, that's where the message has got across in the last uh, six months at least, and that Alcane is a very advanced project. I mean, it's not something we've started in the last three or four years. We've been working on this project 
project for 12 years or 13 years. We originally acquired it about 20 plus years ago. So it's it's been around and we've done all the hard work. You know, that's been really getting the process right, building a demonstration plant, getting product off that demonstration plant in enough quantities to be able to give to end users. Off lab-scale tests, certainly you can get 10 grams, 100 grams of material, but you really have to be able to give these end users tens of kilos of material for them to process and to check. So the fact that we've been up, we've done that, we are at that last stage, we're leading up to sort of development, I think that does differentiate us quite considerably from a lot of the other companies in the business. One of the most interesting things about your company, the most compelling item about Alcane, and we've discussed this, is essentially, I'll just reduce it to this statement, you've become a lifeline for the economies of Japan and South Korea and many Western European countries. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I must admit, I haven't thought of that. But it, it certainly, I mean, we wouldn't be able to meet all the demand of those countries. But in some of the critical areas like the heavier earth, you know, even zirconium, we are, and we use the words, a strategic alternative option. That we, you know, we certainly are a distinctive option from China, and we believe we can supply into the market a reasonably strong way for a long period of time. You know, we often talk, you know, jokingly talk about the project having a 100-year life but in reality, that's what it is. The resource is big enough to sustain that sort of operation. So that does give a strategic significance. That's 100 years. I mean, you can joke about it all you want, and you expect to be generating half a billion dollars a year, don't you? That's right. The cash flow out of that should approach $300 million a year. So it's a very good project. And like most analysis of mining projects, they tend to put a 20-year financial model on it. Uh, that 20-year financial model still generates uh, some very interesting numbers. You end up with a, a $6 billion cash flow over that 20-year period, a, a 30% return on investment. So it's a, it's a good project. It's a very robust project. You know, people often ask us what happens if the... If the metal prices collapse, well, it would take a very significant fall in all the metal prices to get back to a point where we're, say, even just at break even. Uh, and that's, again, one of the advantages of the project is the distribution. I mean, we get revenue from the zirconium, from the niobium, from all the rare earths. It gives us a bit of flexibility to withstand market fluctuations, you know, as we've seen in the last uh, six months with the rare earth industry. There's been some you know, fairly major shifts in some of the rare earths. That really hasn't impacted on us. When you stand back and look at our economics, that really hasn't changed anything for us. The, the project is still a very viable and robust project. Well, it's not going to change your offtake at all. It has zero effect on that. That's right, correct. That's right. It's no impact at all. The offtake uh, is still very important in a number of areas. I know this is probably a question I should ask you in six months or a year, but do you expect to pay dividends at some point? Yes, we do. We've publicly stated that that's our goal. Uh, a lot of mining companies, a lot of junior mining companies won't say that, but we certainly believe that's what we want to do. We think there'll be significant capital appreciation in the shares, but we also think that long term we can become a, a good dividend player. That will come from multiple opportunities. It'll come building up from the gold, certainly from the rare metals and rare earths. And then some of the other exploration projects we've got have the ability over the next three or four years to progress into development projects as well. So. We do see ourselves. Our major shareholders are there and are involved in Alcane because they see the revenue stream off dividends as very important. Well, Ian, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for joining us today on the Ellis Martin Report. Uh, 
thanks, Ellis. Great to talk to you again. Alkane Resources trades on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. That's ANLKY. I've been speaking with the managing director and president of Alkane Resources, Ian Chalmers. You can listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. I've been on the road with Scott Drever in probably three different conferences, and it's only the beginning of March. Scott Drever is the president, the CEO of Silvercrest Mines, which trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SBL, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as STV. ZF. Scott, again, welcome to the program. Thanks once again, uh, Ellis. It's great to be here. We are road warriors, aren't we? seems to be that way. Uh, We've spent a lot of time on the road the first part of the year. Do you find when you come out to these conferences all over North America that you get a chance to tell your story to new potential investors and meet with the shareholders and update them in person? What's the value in that for you? It's just that we have been doing a lot of road shows and telling the story of Silvercrest and its progress with respect to its cash flow and its expiration program. And what that does is uh, make people familiar with the story. There's a lot of people uh, across North America that aren't familiar with Silvercrest, and we're just trying to get as many people looking at the story as we possibly can because we think it's a great story in the silver space. We consider there's a lot of upside potential to it. Well, it seems like you've either been very successful at talking about your company or the results that you're finding in Mexico in Sonora State are outstanding with respect to your La Jolla and your Santa Elena properties. Yes, I think people are, are starting to realize that the combination of things that we have in this company make it a very, very interesting story. The Santa Elena has reached a steady state of production. We've got a uh, two-year program there to double the current production. And uh, La Jolla is turning out some really, really exciting uh, results on the on the exploration work that we've done so far. You know, with about 3,000 companies or more in the junior mining space, it's really difficult to find a small handful of companies where the risk has been minimalized. And I believe you're one of those companies where the risk is fairly minimal. That's certainly true. Santa Elena, we went to commercial production last year. So all the resource risk, the financing risk, permitting risk, all of those things that you run into in in mining operations and bringing them on stream have been put behind us. And with a heap leach open pit operation like we have, one of the risks are generally the last one to be cleared is the recoveries on the metals that you're putting on the heaps. And we're seeing recoveries track very closely the uh, metallurgical work that we did to determine what the recoveries would be. So that's kind of the last one out. Our operations are running nicely. We're putting more through the mill than we had expected uh, initially. And so the goal just keeps coming out at the end of the tube. Is it a matter of a natural flow of understating and overperforming? Well, we like to do that. We like to be able to look back and say, well, we said we were going to do that and we've done it. So, yeah, we tend to understate a little bit and and hopefully overperform. Tell us about the potential size of the polymetallic resource at the Coloradito target at La Jolla. Yeah, we have several targets at La Jolla. The one that we focused on, obviously, is the main mineralized trend where we announced a resource recently of 102 million ounces of silver equivalent. There are a couple of adjacent targets to that main mineralized trend, one of which is the Coloradito. And we announced the results of some historical drilling that we were able to uh, confirm. We see there a uh, tungsten molly gold-silver system that has some sizable dimensions, if you can look at the, the historical data, and we have a number of holes planned for that. 
But generally, the container size there, I think, is about 500 meters by 200 meters wide by a couple of hundred meters depth. There's a lot of room for a large potential open pit deposit, but obviously we have a lot of work to determine how much of that container size has uh, the appropriate mineralization. So you really can't speculate about how that's defined at this moment. You can just say that you're looking. That's exactly correct. We have an 80-hole program going on at the moment for La Jolla, and I think there's 8 or 10 slated for that particular deposit. And at the end of that series, we'll have a much better idea of what it means and how big it might be. Is that 80 holes for 2012? Uh, Yes. Uh, We hope to have that finished probably by June. Uh, with the view to doing a resource update before the end of the year. How are you financing all all this drilling? We have $30 million in cash in the Treasury. We're well positioned there. Also, Santa Elena is uh, providing about 2 to $2.5 million a month in cash flow. So from cash flow and cash in the bank, we're well positioned to finance both our expansion plans and our exploration activity. You're well on the way to predicted ratings by some of the research analysts that have been following you. Yeah, we made good progress towards those targets. I think Canaccord's analyst has put a $5.75 as a target price for us. Jennings Capital out of Toronto has a target price of five twenty-five, And Dundee Capital just initiated their coverage on us last week and uh, have put a buy signal on it but haven't given us a target number yet. So these are all recent updates, if I recall. That's true, yeah. We had a, um, a mine tour and a site tour a couple of weeks ago, and those analysts were on those trips. You know, they're talking from firsthand viewing of our work and and what we're doing, and, uh, you know, they make their own judgments. Well, that's up about a dollar, dollar and a half or so since we last spoke at the end of January. We've been doing some extra legwork in terms of getting the story out, and I think we're starting to see the traction uh, grab hold on the the story and people are looking at the value that's here now and the value they see coming down the road, it's created that kind of interest and we're trading good volumes. We're doing probably four or 500,000 shares a day, which gives everybody good liquidity. Nevertheless, as, as well known as you may be in Canada and throughout us in the sector, you're still a new story to many in the U.S. We've started to focus on that because obviously the the market there, particularly for silver companies, is much, much greater than uh, what it would be in Canada. We've redirected some of our investor awareness program to the U.S. We've been doing road shows in eastern U.S., in the Midwest, and also on the West Coast. There again, I think it's people starting to be aware of that story. We're also looking at the possibility of moving to a, a more senior exchange both in Canada and the U.S. What are you most excited about Silvercrest during the next 12? to 18 months? Obviously, the operations are important. It'll help us to build our cash flow and the uh, expansion plan that'll help us to to double our production are, are very important things. And those are good, stable things that every company needs. The excitement, I think, is going to turn around the La Jolla project because our first indications on that is that it has the potential to be a huge deposit and uh, can be a significant game changer for Silvercrest. Bigger than Santa Elena? Absolutely. Uh, I think if you look at the numbers at La Jolla of 102 million ounces of silver equivalent, it's probably bigger at this moment than what Santa Elena is, although we still have the expansion plan to determine what uh, Santa Elena's ultimate size will be. I've been speaking with Scott Drever, the president and CEO of Silvercrest Mines, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SVL, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX is STVZF. And we're at the Royal York Hotel in Toronto, Ontario. Scott, thank you very much for joining me today on the Ellis Martin Report. 
My pleasure, Ellis. Thank you very much. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored in part by Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Tanzanian Royalty's Buck Reef Project is an advanced-staged gold project currently in feasibility in Tanzania with a commercial production target approximately 30 months away. With $30 million in their treasury, the company is prepared to further explore and develop the property. The president of the Tanzanian Royalty is renowned commodities expert Jim Sinclair. Visit our website, TanzanianRoyalty.com. That's Tanzanian TanzanianRoyalty.com. Joining us now, veteran geologist and mining stock analyst Brent Cook. His website is called ExplorationInsights.com and offers the sophisticated speculator, independent, and unbiased analysis of the junior mining and exploration market. Brent, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's good to be on again. Now, you're headed down to Australia. What have you got going on down there? Well, I'm heading down there to visit a project that Eurasian Minerals has called Coonanbury. It's a new potential district in western New South Wales. They picked up a 100-kilometer trend in a zone that's never been explored, but there's been a lot of gold nuggets found out there. So they put together a geologic model and picture of what's going on. And if they're right, if they're successful, this isn't a one miner or one drill hole prospect play. This is a district. And I like district plays and that that's what a major is looking for, is a district, not just one single mine for the most part. It's well known that you like big projects. You don't really spend any time on anything small. Well, that's their business model, and to generate these ideas, big picture ideas, and then bring in usually a major company to fund the exploration. You and I know how high risk that actually is, so it makes a lot of sense to bring somebody else in to spend the high risk and high dollar expenses exploring these things. And that's what they've done in Turkey, in Scandinavia, in the western U.S., And in Haiti, they've got major mining companies drilling, exploring their projects. And if they're successful, then we as shareholders stand to do quite well because these companies are looking for major deposits. They're not looking for small ones. And if they're not successful, again, we as shareholders, we don't really participate in how much it costs to determine that. If a company's management team is not up to snuff and they have a great property and perhaps they're looking like they might fold, you still have your eye on that property, don't you? Oh, for sure. I mean, that happens a lot. I mean, a lot of companies... Uh, have good-looking projects, and it's just, you know, they're unable to work it for whatever reason that is, and that eventually comes free again. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching for those. Are you one of the people that helps to restructure these deals when they fail? Not per se. I try and identify a, a project or a group, but I don't really get behind the restructuring and all. That frees you up to pretty much say whatever you want, whenever you want. Right, Brent? Yeah, that's what I do in my letter. I, I say what I want, whenever I want. And, you know, I've made a few enemies and made some friends doing that. I guess it's fairly easy to make enemies in this business. Everyone is very sensitive with regard to their projects and their companies. I'm sure occasionally while you enjoy your work at times, it must be a little bit tenuous. Well, it is, but ultimately it's, you know, it comes down to the rocks. And either the deposit's there or the deposit's not there. Either it's worth something or it's not worth something. So geology is not a real exact science. It's sort of a, a fuzzy science and that we're projecting a little bit of data on the surface to depth and things change at depth you know you don't know what's going on so there's a lot of room for a variety of opinions as well are you making money in this market uh not much (laughs) to be honest Uh, it's been tough some of our stocks are done down a fair bit a lot of them are about even so we're doing okay i think we're doing better than the market average but not as good as i'd like but you, you really can't fight the market i mean the market's selling the good with the bad so we get hit well you've got to be accumulating where you can very very selectively i think this market gets worse over the year and i think we'll get a lot better bargains further down so the only thing i'm really accumulating is companies that where i can see the actual value on a net present value basis of a deposit 
and that deposit is being undervalued and seriously undervalued. And I'm looking at high-margin deposits. I'm not interested in these marginal deposits where you get your you know, your leverage to the gold or copper price because I think the leverage goes the other way this year. You're never really a trader then. I know some of the other analysts I speak with periodically, they like volatility. They're into it. That's not you, is it? I can't do that. As a newsletter writer, I can't you know, have my subscribers flipping in and out of stocks that quickly. It's just, it's just not fair. I mean, certainly, I know a number of my subscribers do that, and that's fine. I just try and provide the information, and they jump in and out when they like. Personally, I can't be doing that in a letter. It's just not fair. It's going to be tough. I mean, there's so many new companies out there. You know, They've all issued their stock. They've raised the money. They're spending it. They're going to be needing it over this coming uh, next six months, a lot of them, and it's going to be hard to get. We've still got all that paper to burn through that they raised about a year ago. I think it's going to be tough unless you've got a property or deposit that shows some real value. I'm getting the feeling that we're not going to see any kind of recovery in these junior stocks until about 2013. What are your thoughts? It's going to be tough. I mean, there's so many new companies out there. You know, they've all issued their stock. They've raised the money. They're spending it. They're going to be needing it over this coming uh, next six months, a lot of them. And it's going to be hard to get. We've still got all that paper to burn through that they raised about a year ago. I think it's going to be tough unless you've got a property or deposit that shows some real value. Well, that makes it risky for shareholders when a company has to burn off stock or burn off paper to cover their financings, etc. Well, it does. You know, you're facing serious dilution. We're going to see a lot of private placements coming out at very low values, at very low share prices, and a lot lower than the last placement they did. This is also a fortuitous time for acquisitions, potentially. Yeah, precisely. The major mining companies, even at, call it, 1,500 gold and 350 copper, by and large, they're making decent money, and that cash flow is accumulating, and they do need to replace what they're mining. So you're right, in, in the sense that if you own a company that's got something of value, and you know what that value is worth, and you can buy it for less than that, you stand a good chance of getting taken over by another company. That's the sweet spot in this, and that's where the money's going to be made this year. But you better know what you own. How do you keep track of all these possible opportunities, Brent? <laughs> it's tough. I mean, that's what I do all day, every day, is look at news releases, companies. And, you know, over the past, since I let's see, I started working at Rig Rule in 97, I've gotten to know a lot of the companies, the people, the projects. So I've got a good handle on what's going on, but certainly I can't even cover them all. I mean, things go by me that I just completely miss. I just can't follow everything. Tell us about Exploration Insights. Right. Exploration Insights is an investment letter focused on the junior mining sector, and it's basically about what I'm doing with my money in the sector. You know, what I'm buying, why I'm buying it, what do I expect, or why I'm selling. It comes out more or less once every week unless I'm on the road, and we cover, in addition to companies, I like to talk a bit about geology or mineralization or just provide some information that helps subscribers evaluate their own companies or things that they're looking at that I'm not covering. Now, you're going to be down in Australia looking in on a Eurasian project. Will you be checking in on anything else while you're there? I'll be jumping across to New Zealand to look at another company we own called Glass Earth. They've got what looks like a discovery on the North Island next to Newmont's 10 million ounce Martha mine. This is a joint venture with Newmont. And they've got some other projects as well. So I'll be visiting those two projects mainly and, and talking with some junior companies down there as well. Brent, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for visiting with me. I look forward to speaking with you again in the near future. Thank you. Anytime, Els. I've been talking with geologist and newsletter writer Brent Cook. The website is explorationinsights.com. That's explorationinsights.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, 
ellismartinreport.com. David Duval is a 40-year veteran of the Canadian minerals industry. He served a decade as Western editor for the largest weekly mining publication in the world before forming his own consulting company in 1990. As a technical advisor to the United Nations and Royal Government of Thailand, he coordinated the feasibility study for the $500 million Association of Southeast Asian Nations Potash Project in Thailand. Mr. Duval is a recognized authority on the Canadian diamond industry, having co-authored New Frontiers in Mining in 1996. David serves as special advisor to Jim Sinclair, the president and CEO of sponsor company Tanzanian Royalty, trading on the New York Stock Exchange as TRX. Tanzanian Royalty is developing an advanced stage gold project in Tanzania in partnership with the State Mining Corporation of that country. David and Mr. Sinclair co-founded the online newsletter JSMindset.com in 2003, which offers free commentary on gold and currency markets and is a traffic leader in its market segment. David, welcome back to the program. I'm very pleased to be here. I've been speaking with several people during the past week about what to make out of this market when many of the juniors have been underperforming as a bottom attempts to find itself. Yet your company, Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, continues to perform and has done so for several months. Well, we, we've been somewhat uh, sort of counterintuitive almost in the marketplace, which is a nice position to be in. You know, we've really got a lot going in Tanzania. We, you know, we're well-financed, uh, unlike some other companies that are struggling because of these uh, quite variable sort of market conditions that we're seeing. So we're drilling our core property, Buck Reef as well, and we're looking at drilling some of our other properties in our portfolio in the coming months, and uh, we're bringing on new staff. And uh, so we've got a lot of momentum that's building on the exploration front, and that's, I think, uh, going to continue for the uh, foreseeable future. So there's really a lot happening with the company, and I think the market recognizes that. And, and they recognize some of our recent successes on the drilling front as well. We've uh, pulled some really good holes in the Buck Reef main zone, which is our core project. It's a, a joint venture with the basically the Tanzanian government, the State Mining Corporation of Tanzania. So, you know, we're making good progress, and uh, we see that sort of continuing. Although you've doubled since December, you're still 30 to 40% below your 52-week high of $7.82. Is there any reason to believe that we won't see that again this year? Again, it's sort of contingent on the gold price, I, I think, really. And, of course, we are uh, uh, bullish on, on gold prices. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the business. You know, the gold market has been volatile, and it's just a very volatile business. It has been sort of historically, and it's probably going to continue like that. And since I believe I was at the uh, Prospectors Convention in Toronto in March, and I was listening to Dr. Martin Mernbelt from Dundee Wealth, and he, uh, of course, tracks gold prices down through the you know, decades, this type of thing. And, and he basically said there have been six or seven, I think, uh, downturns of at least 10% in the gold price since that time. You know, we're seeing a lot of volatility in the gold market, but the reasons for that volatility are really what is pushing gold up. And, and we think gold is going a lot higher this year, and it's going to be reflected in the stock prices of all gold companies. You know, a rising tide sort of raises all ships, this type of thing. But when you look at our performance, you know, in recent sort of months uh, in a rising gold market sort of market, uh, we've basically led the pack, and, and I don't really see that changing. Uh, I, I think we're going to be a, an industry leader within our peer group and, you know, subject to some improvement in the gold market, which we do see coming, really, when you look at those employment numbers that came out on Friday. 
and the uh, debt levels the uh, U.S. government has uh, sort of been maintaining. And, you know, in recent years, the gold price uh, has got one way to go, and I think that's up, really. But it's certainly not a business for the faint of heart. I think you've got to be in it for the longer term, two to three years. Uh, any money I've made in the market has been in that basis. If you watch every tick on the market day in and day out, it will just drive you crazy. And, uh, you know, I would encourage people just to not look at their portfolios. It's not the easiest thing to do. I've managed to do it. I just avoid looking at my portfolio for about a month or so. You know, after that, you sort of look at it, and it usually looks a lot better, really. Well, there's a huge temptation as an investor to cut your losses when you see dips with companies that are not performing as well as yours. But you're saying just look away. I think at some point, obviously, you want to cut your losses and sort of rejig your portfolio into better performing stocks. And I do that a bit. Uh, I don't have a huge portfolio in terms of the number of companies I have in it. Dollar-wise, it's, it's significant, obviously, but the number of companies, I, I tend to, you know, restrict my choice to, you know, to companies that have advanced stage projects and uh, companies that I think really have a, a future that are heading towards commercial production, which, of course, is the case with us at Buckreef. Doubling back a bit to an earlier point you made, the success of Tanzanian in the markets is telegraphing a positive note for the sector as a whole, possibly. Again, it depends what stage you are. Uh, you know, obviously the gold producers, the barracks and what have you that have leverage to gold production will probably move first. And then the uh, market will see potential, I think, with development uh, stage companies. And then they will move down to the more junior sector, more speculative companies. That's typically the way the market operates. Interestingly enough, Tanzanian royalty is pretty well traded. You know, when the gold market is moving higher, Tanzanian royalty has tended to trade, you know, with the producers, with the uh, companies that are actually producing the product. We're looking at production in 2014. We don't actually have any commercial production right at the moment. We probably will have some production from our uh, Kagosi project on a, on a much smaller scale basis, perhaps next year sometimes. But nonetheless, we have been trading pretty well lockstep with the gold price and with the actual producers themselves. You know, we certainly are quite sort of unusual within our peer group. Uh, we, we've been trading like McEwen Mining, which uh, is also, a, well, they're a development stage company. They're a little more advanced in terms of where they are on the development sort of end of it. They are going to commercial production and will probably have some production, I think, next year sometime. So. A great deal of the success of a company like Tanzanian Royalty, of course, has to do with the management team and the person at the helm. In this case, Jim Sinclair. Well, this business is really all about people, about management. It tends to be project-specific as well. You know, good managers tend to get good projects, and that certainly is the case with us. We've acquired these assets in uh, Tanzania over the years, including Buckreef uh, back in 2010, and we've put uh, a lot of uh, sweat sort of equity into uh, Buckreef sort of in particular, and we have the government of Tanzania on our side in the form of the State Mining Corporation of Tanzania, which is our partner in the Buckreef project, and uh, they're also a, a shareholder in our uh, Kigosi uh, project as well. So uh, I think it was really a smart move on our part, uh, developing Buck Reef on that uh, basis, you know, with a government sort of partner. They have a vested interest in the thing succeeding, and uh, this is going to be a, a showcase uh, operation for the government of Tanzania. It's very much going to be the public face, I think, of the State Mining Corporation of Tanzania in the market. They're really on our side, and, and uh, you know, they've been working hard to assist us in making this thing a success, and I think the market uh, has come to recognize that. There's no real political risk in this thing, because we have the government on our side, really. The, they are our partner, and the government obviously would not uh, do anything to 
harm that relationship because uh, obviously it would be to their detriment as well. You mentioned political risk, and in Tanzania with your company, there virtually is none in a part of the world where there's plenty of political risk. Clearly, you've chosen an area of Africa that has a long history in mining and is very interested in partnerships with organizations like yours that are concerned about sustainability and working with the people. Well, that's correct. I mean, there's political risk all over, not just in Africa, you know, throughout the Americas, including the U.S. and Canada as well. It's a different type of sort of political risk, of course, and, you know, there are a lot of uh, environmental sort of risk in terms of permitting, and there are a lot of groups that just oppose mining. It doesn't matter where it's being done, and North America is not that much different uh, in that sort of regard. But Tanzania, the uh, mining industry is accounting for a significant amount of its uh, sort of economic growth, and I think the government, real, I'm sure the government realizes that. They're doing their best to promote the mining industry and the uh, development of uh, new resources, not just on the gold end of it, but, uh, you know, with base metals, nickel, what have you, and uh, iron, and, and the whole sort of gambit, really, because this type of activity is really wealth generating. It, it creates wealth out of nothing, in a sense, really. You find an ore body, uh, and you extract the minerals out of that ore body, and it creates wealth for the country, really, and for the companies that are putting up the risk capital to develop the resources as well. And one final question, David. What can we expect from the company looking ahead the next 12 to 18 months? Obviously, we're at a critical juncture in our history. As I mentioned, we are a development stage company. We are growing our resource base. We've got two projects that uh, we're looking at bringing to commercial production. You know, within two years, Kagosi will be a much smaller scale operation. Cash flow from that operation will be used to develop our Buck Reef project, which is the big kahuna. That will be a plus 100,000 ounce per year producer in 2014. You know, we are growing our resource base at Buck Reef, and of course, a larger resource base provides you with the opportunity to increase commercial production to sort of higher levels, and that is our near-term and our long-term objective as well, to maximize production at Buck Reef. Again, that is dependent on the amount of resources you have in the ground. From what we see from drilling so far, it looks like we are going to grow our resource at Buck Reef quite substantially. We have a very large land position there, and uh, you can sort of extrapolate from that. There's plenty of room for resource growth there, probably doubling or tripling of the existing resource that we have there. Well, David, thanks for bringing us up to date with regards to Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. My pleasure. It was really nice talking with you. I've been speaking with David Duval, Special Advisor to Jim Sinclair, the president of Tanzanian Royalty Exploration Corporation, trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TRX. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Subscribe to our news alerts. When one of our sponsor companies puts out some news, you'll know about it fast. Register at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. I'm in my hometown of Los Angeles, California, with Dr. Don Robinson, the president, the CEO of East Main Resources, trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol ER. Don, it's good to have you back here on the Ellis Martin Report. Ellis, uh, nice to see you again, and thanks for uh, speaking with us. I must disclose that I'm a cheerful shareholder of East Main Resources. Don, what's changed in the last year and a half, two years, since you've been on the program? Right now, I think, just to start with, is our 2011 milestones. Last year, last spring, we updated the resource and demonstrated that our deposit was well in excess of a million ounces. There was a 62% increase 
in the deposit at Eau Claire, which is our Clearwater Project Eau Claire deposit. Most importantly is that the resource just wasn't a report on metal content, etc. The report was how it could be mined. And stunningly is that we found that the top part of the deposit could be extracted by a pit. And why this is important is that it opens up the gateways in terms of throughput and amount of gold you could get out of the ground at low cost and a, a higher throughput. More importantly on top is that the grade of the open pit is three to five times higher than all of the undeveloped projects out there in the Canadian Shield. That really is the game changer. And as we were demonstrating in our presentation that we just had about a half an hour ago, that we are in the discovery business and the way we make an impact on the project is that you make the project larger. And in the last 18 months, we have made a significant change in the footprint of the deposit. And it's clear that the open pit portion of that deposit extends west of what we thought was the limit of that deposit and hence it's much bigger going forward and this is what we call the 850 zone. You don't only have to take my word for it is that multiple analysts are covering the project and covering the company and in particular Macquarie has us as their top explorer pick in the country which we're quite proud of. In the last 12 months we were able to eliminate the royalty that was on the project held by the Quebec government. So we now own the flagship royalty free. This is fantastic for our stockholders and the final element is the ability to keep the treasury replenished at a premium. Last year we were able to raise $11.5 million, a 70% premium to the stock, which doubled the treasury for a 5% dilution. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you're operating in Quebec province. And that's exactly it. We have an unfair advantage. I call it the Quebec advantage. And this is part of the same story, but it's one that's more and more important is that where we're working in James Bay, Quebec, there were no operating mines. Now there are five gold deposits, one giant gold deposit that's owned by Goldcorp. We own the next two, and our flagship now is north of a million ounces and growing with expiration. And Goldcorp is your largest shareholder, aren't they? And that's the interesting point. We have a joint venture with them on a piece of the mine property, as well as they are the largest stockholder. And so the interesting point is that I think they're happy to see us grow our project at Eau Claire and grow the size of the project. They're making an investment of $1.4 billion to build the Eleanor project. So they've made a considerable investment in time, energy, and money into our district. Now, one of the things that uh, I had to take a second look at during your presentation was in a portion of your assets, you have, uh, I think, almost 2,500 grams per ton of gold. W would you elaborate on that, please? Because I still find that an unbelievable figure. What really uh, separates us from the pack is grade. These are very high-grade vein systems that come to surface. Our whole 98 there was an interval that came back at 2,580 grams gold. The interval amortized over a 55 meter width came back at 24 grams. The surface grade of the top of our deposit is 23 and a half grams, translation 0.7 ounces. Translation again, it's a thousand dollar rock per ton. In the drilling that we've done and the trenching that we've done last year, we have found high grade material 500 meters or five football fields away that is in the sub-kilo range. 
within these wider envelopes. And that's been the nature of the deposit, is that there is high grade, it's a fine gold flower that has spectacular metallurgy, easy milling, and you recover it with gravity. Now, you've explained the geology to be similar to the Timmins camp, which is sort of at the end of its run compared to the Clearwater area. Would you elaborate on that, please? The reason we are in this district in the first place is that it's underlain by the same belts of volcanic rocks as Timmins, Valdor, Red Lake, etc. The difference was there wasn't any major mines that had been discovered. But it meant that at first we had to get on an airplane, fly 400 kilometers and land on a lake, set your tent up and start from scratch. The advantage is that we were able to acquire well over a thousand square kilometers of the most prolific ground in the district. And we know that at least one of those strips contains a multi-million ounce gold deposit. And the second one, we have another discovery in the historical East Main mine property. You're not one to sit behind the desk, are you? You're out here letting potential shareholders and institutions know about what you're doing, retail investors, what have you, but you're also out in the field. And if you weren't out in the field doing what you're doing, the resource wouldn't be perhaps as large as it is today. Both myself and my partner, Kathy Butella, you know, enjoy this business. That's what drives us, is that exploration and working with ore deposits is what we do. You have to get out and tell the story. I've been out for the last week coming down the West Coast USA to give presentations and introduce folks that aren't aware of our company that there is a Quebec advantage out there. In addition, it's fun to work with the rocks and work on these deposits. And right now we're taking advantage of some technology. And if you go to our website, you can start seeing 3D models of what these deposits look like. And the fact is that the pre and post drilling to show you, oh, I get it. I can see that thing is bigger. And I can see there's some trends in here that we should be testing. And after 15 minutes with a little explanation, I think the common investor or the everyday investor sees what we can see is that there's a lot of upside. Well, we've been covering your company on and off for about 10 years now, and I have to tell you, I have not seen the type of resource, the type of excitement that I'm seeing now. You say that you're being called perhaps the biggest story in Canada. I'm seeing that now, and yet we have a stock that's uh, at $1.25, a very decent share price in quote-unquote this market, but yet uh, this could be the story that's on the lips of everybody down the road. Our job is to get right center square on the radar screen, and the way you do that is demonstrate that you have a project that's in the upper echelon comparable to the best of the best in the world. We now have a deposit that's north of a million ounces. While there's 296 in the world, of which one-third of them come from North America, and probably half of those will never be mined for various reasons of logistics, etc. We've got a nice project here that is right beside a road and is right near power, and I think in the last two years, we're demonstrating it's bigger than we knew. What's the rare metal story to East Main? This is something you uncovered today for us. Enclosed in the deposit, there are other byproducts. Not just gold, but principally there's a lot of tellurium present. And the folks that are making solar panels and the folks that are making microprocessors need this element in order to build their products. Just so happens is that there's a lot of it present in Clearwater, and it's fairly metallurgically simple to get it out. So we use it for science in that it's a fingerprint of the deposit, but in the future it will benefit the economics of the project in that it will reduce the cost of producing an ounce of gold because you get paid for the byproduct.
Let's talk about the share structure before we wrap up. You've had very little dilution over the years. Given that we've been here for 16 years on the Toronto Stock Exchange, our share structure is still less than 100 million shares issued. We don't have any overhang in terms of warrants. We've been able to keep the Treasury full, and that's just keep your stick on the ice. Keep at it. Keep a steady program going forward. Don, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks very much, Alice. I've been speaking with Dr. Don Robinson, the president and CEO of East Main Resources. The website is eastmain.com. The symbol on the Toronto Stock Exchange is ER. That's ER.to. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. This is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.